we are talking about a passage that is sensitive and it is worth providing a warning. Um, we are going to be talking about a story that includes sexual assault. Um, so if at any time you feel uncomfortable or uneasy, uh, please do what you need to do to make yourself feel comfortable. Either step out or, or turn your devices on mute. Um, please do what you need to do. You have permission. Because um, we are talking about David and Bathsheba today. And we will not be using the traditional narrative that you might have heard. Um, that, like, this, like the song Hallelujah Goes, um, we saw, David saw her bathing on the roof and her beauty and the moonlight overthrew him. Um, the narrative that Bathsheba knowingly disrobed um, in David's line of sight so she could seduce him and David being unable to resist this temptress had an affair with his main sin being in the murder of Uriah the Hittite. That may be what you have heard, it may not have been what you have heard. Um, that is not what we want to convey. So let's break it down and see what we want to see. We start in verse 1, where it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. So already we have David where he is not where he is supposed to be. Kings the king's place was on the battlefield with their men. If their men were at, were at war, they were at war with them. At least good kings were. And David, we know, was a good warrior king. He had had many victories, had done many things to uh, improve the state of Israel and, and their territory and their influence. Um, so he should have been with his men. And this would not have been missed with, for the original audience of Second Samuel where it says, in the time when kings go off to war, David was at home. His army was out fighting and David was chilling in his palace. He was bored. And how often does temptation creep in when we are bored, maybe where we're not supposed to be? So what do we see next? We see um, a quick a quick explanation of events where we see David sending someone out to find out who Bathsheba is. We see him telling messengers to go get her. She comes to David's chambers and he sleeps with her. It's very quick. But we need to ask, was David seeing Bathsheba on the roof really that innocent? Was it really that quick? I'm going to say no. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men, and there was 37 of them mentioned in the Old Testament. Basically like the Navy SEALs, the best soldiers, they were there since the beginning with David. They would have been his close compatriots, his best friends. And if his house is close enough to, to see, obviously they were close neighbors. So to, see, to say that David didn't know who this was is wrong. He knew who Bathsheba was. Him sending his servants out to, to, to ask about her was more asking, is she vulnerable? Is, is, she, is she alone? Not, who is she? This was not a woman on the roof tempting David seductively, but rather David creeping on his neighbors. The richest people had the tallest houses. David was the king. He had the palace. His was the tallest. And Uriah the Hittite was also pretty affluent. Probably the only person that could have been watching Bathsheba was David. And where else do people bathe but in their bathing places? 
How can you say this was Bathsheba tempting her, tempting David? In verse 4, she's brought to David's chambers, and it says quickly that he slept with her. And it also mentions that she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, and that was just mentioned, um, referring to her period just finishing. Um, and that is included because they wanted to make it clear that Uriah the Hittite could not have fathered a child with Bathsheba because Uriah has been gone for so long. Because that is important. Because <laughs> after they sleep together, she conceives. But there is important questions to be asked about this event. It is so brief in the text. But we have to ask ourselves important questions about consent. Can a woman consent to a king if, if I mean, outside of a, a consensual marriage relationship, can a, a woman off the street, across the street, <laughs> brought to him consent to a king? Imagine, and just empathize with Bathsheba a little bit here, put yourself in her shoes. Imagine if she said no to David when she was brought into his chambers. What do you think would have happened to her? Likely awful things, and we don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but we have to include a conversation about power dynamics in the concept of consent, because when the options are awful things or capitulating to sex, there is no choice, and consent cannot be given. Using one's power over another person to coerce that person into sex is sexual violence to the utmost degree, and it is important we recognize that, especially as the church, in light of all the things in recent days, through the Me Too movement, through women gaining courage to speak out, we have to validate victims and rebuke perpetrators. And this is not my theory, rather the theory of others. In chapter 12, the next chapter, the prophet Nathan rebukes David, and he refers to Bathsheba as the innocent lamb suggesting that she could not have done anything to resist. This is also backed up by scholars and theologians like John Piper and a long list of others. So it's important we recognize that. And as we continue into verse 6, we see David panicking as Bathsheba comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And David knows that if this news gets out, everybody will know it is David. For as he told the servants to do all these things, this is out there. It's not a secret. Many, many people know. So he needs to devise a plan. And what is his plan? He brings Uriah back from the front, the war front, so that he would sleep with his wife, and then people would think that it is Uriah's child. But Uriah evidently already knows. For as he comes back from the front, he doesn't even go home once, not even before he sees David. Obviously, he knows already, and that's how widespread this information has already become. So Uriah does not go home, and you can see that through his actions and what he says. He says, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife as surely as you live? I will do no such thing. And this is a political answer that he gives to David, but it reveals his hand that he knows, and he doesn't want any part of it. So David realizes it's not going to work, and he turns to something even worse. He decides to intoxicate 
uh, basically drug Uriah. So hopefully in his intoxicated state, he would go home and sleep with his wife. But this also doesn't work. He doesn't go home. He instead goes and sleeps with the servants of David. So in order to have accountability, the servants get back up and say, no, he did not go home. So with this not working, David is still panicking. He does not want a national scandal. So he needs to turn to drastic measures. And his drastic measure, he decides, is murder. And not a quick and convenient murder, like an assassination or something like that, or poisoning. But he sends him back to the army, and he tells his commander, Joab, to put him on the front lines. In verse 1, we see that the Israelites have already destroyed the Ammonites, and they, are setting, they have set up a siege around Rabbah. Rabbah was the main city um, in Ammon, and basically, if they had already destroyed their armies, they are setting up a siege. If you know anything about uh, conquests, um, normally they don't actually attack the city. They just surround it and starve it out until they surrender. So the Israelites didn't have to attack, they shouldn't have attacked, and everyone would have thought it would have been weird if they attacked. But David asks them to. He makes Joab send the men right up to the walls, pointlessly, not even to conquer the city, instead just to kill Uriah. In verse 15 and beyond, we see that David's actions here actually have lots of collateral victims. Eighteen other men died because of this action. They were put so close to the city that archers, um, millstones were dropped on them, um, all for um, David's covering up of his sin. And we see that David, in his attempt to cover it up, leads to more. As this news of Uriah's death comes back home, a time of mourning takes place. But after this time of mourning, in verse 27, we didn't hear it, as we only read to verse 15. But David takes Bathsheba as his wife. And this is part of the story that irks me a lot because, because not all the people in Israel knew about it. Of course, there was a few in the inner circle who knew. But if you didn't know what David had done, the act of taking Bathsheba as, your, as his wife, taking her into David's house, would have been seen as an act of mercy. And David probably would have been held in high regard because in Israelite culture, widows um, basically didn't have a place in society. They were, they were destitute. They were put into poverty. So taking someone into your, taking a widow into your house is basically saying, I care so much about this person. I'm going to take care of your loved ones. So that's how David was seen, even after what he had done. And we read that obviously, God saw all of this because in 27 it says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord and that's not a normal thing for David um, we, we read many good things that he has done but it is scary to see that what David had done had displeased the Lord and we have to ask ourselves how can David be a man after God's own heart after doing this thing this horrendous thing that so severely displeased the Lord. Well, that's just it. <laughs> he was a man, and I don't mean that he was a man, not a woman, but he was a human. And while that's not an excuse for David's actions, rather it's a warning for us as humans as well. Um, even the best king, David, um, 
And you have to ask yourself, that's a pretty low bar for a king, but the best king can do this thing as a man. What can we do also? What was missing for David at this time was a circle of accountability. He sent his messengers, his servants, his closest people to him in the palace, and nobody stopped him, probably because they couldn't. I mean, how can you say no to a king in that arena as well? How can you keep someone like that accountable? So what can we glean from this story? What can we glean from that? Well, how often do we underestimate power dynamics in our own lives, in our own relationships, at work, um, in our families? I mean, things like age, sex, gender, job, relationships, familial relationships can all affect how much social power we hold in relationships, sometimes and most often, it is unknown and unfelt by the person who holds that power. Be wary of the power you hold. Even if you are a good person without accountability or being in the wrong setting, sin can, be, can creep in. We can see from this example that, that good people, David who was anointed by God, can do bad things. We also see it in our culture and our society around us. We see cases like Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, people with insane amount of power and no accountability do incredibly awful things. And I'm in no means providing an excuse for David's actions. Please do not hear that. They are intolerable to the highest degree. But I want us to hear this warning. Be wary of situations and circumstances where we may find ourselves in a social situation with a power imbalance, or somewhere where we have no accountability. This is heavy, this is a heavy passage, but it is important for us to reckon with. So I will close with this. Oftentimes, stories in scripture like this are descriptive in nature. They highlight bad things that people have done to show us what not to do. And even though we read about incredible things that David accomplished in his life, even being anointed by God, and how his bloodline led right to Jesus. We are warned how power can corrupt even the best, and how no accountability can lead to sin. So I pray that we would take that with us.